1: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Murray, What's our show about today?
2: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about identity theft protection and security breaches. And you know we've had the wonderful opportunity to meet the um, chief legal officer for Intersections. He's become a friend. We love Neil Dittersdorf. He is um, an incredible expert in identity theft, privacy, technology. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Neil Dittesdorf is the chief legal counsel for Intersections, and Intersections is a leading provider of identity theft protection services for consumers. Beginning with credit credit information back in 1996, Intersection was about one of the very first companies to recognize that consumers needed to manage and protect their own identities and their personal information, That was really when identity theft was really coming into its own. That's when a woman stole my identity. So this was really a time that was just kind of the beginning when people didn't even know what identity theft was. They were already on the forefront. And Neil has been long involved in the area of information technology and security as both a law firm partner working in the areas of information technology and intellectual property and as a general counsel at companies providing technology and service relation relating to credit and personal information. And Neil was also a trial attorney in the Civil Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, and there he represented government the government in challenges to the constitutionality and legality of several of its programs, including the protection of national security information. So he lives and works in the D.C. area. He is um, brilliant, and I've had the wonderful opportunity to to work with him and learn about all the great things that he is doing. And so we welcome you. Thank you so much, Neil, for joining us all the way from the east coast
0: thank you very much Mari. i'm, I'm excited to be here and, and uh, welcome the opportunity i hope i can come even just a little bit close to the kind words that you had for me but, oh. uh, i'm sure we'll have fun
2: no you're great okay so since you're right in the heart of dc and you know what's happening and you have that whole pulse what is happening in congress with respect to privacy and information security
0: yeah it's a very interesting time um before I begin, I just want to mention um that i'm um, giving my personal views here and not not any views on behalf of intersections Inc okay um but with that said, so it's interesting to watch what's been happening in Congress with respect to privacy and information security. Um, you know, I think of them as closely related. Some people think of them as different, but ultimately your privacy is compromised by breaches in information security. Um, so I really think of them as, as working together. But it's helpful to look at Congress and think about what's going on in each separately. On the privacy side, just to, just to remind everybody, unlike in, for example, Europe and some other parts of the world, we don't have any comprehensive privacy law in the United States. We have laws on certain topics. We have HIPAA for healthcare care records, gramm leach bliley Act for the financial institutions, some miscellaneous laws like laws that protect driver's records or certain government records or use of social security numbers, but nothing really comprehensive that covers all of privacy. Um, currently, what we see on the privacy side in Congress are a whole array many different bills on many different individual topics um, topics like mobile devices and online privacy and student privacy and financial privacy and health privacy and driver privacy mm-hmm. privacy and uh, government surveillance and and other topics. Um, unfortunately, while there are lots of very narrow bills on lots of topics we don't see a lot of movement on those. There's not a great expectation from what I understand that those laws are going to pass. Um, So on the privacy side, um, there's a lot of attention clearly in Congress. There are a lot of individual Congress people and committees that recognize the importance of privacy issues, but there doesn't seem to be a, a great prospect for passing strictly privacy laws. On the other side, um, on information security and data breach, there seems to be some more focused action and attention. Um, you know, everybody probably knows we've had some major data breaches that were publicized in the last year or two, eBay, Target, Neiman Marcus, Michaels, you know, other companies. And that seems to have increased the public pressure to see action on Congress in this area. So we have a number of bills introduced to establish a more uniform federal standard for when consumers should be notified about a data breach. And that seems to be the primary focus. There are also some attention to trying to get get some more national standards about the level of information security that needs to be provided by companies that have customers' personal information or other consumers' personal information. But the real focus right now is on, on data breach. Um, so the good news is there, there seems to be some more work uh, on that that's going on and some attempts to compromise on different views. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of people who would predict that still nothing's going to happen, at least in this Congress. Maybe after the night, November elections, things might change. Um, a lot of the bills that are being considered have been heard many times before Um, and it doesn't appear that necessarily we're going to get one out and for a full vote and get it to the president's desk, but there is more movement, you know, and more hope, I guess, on that, that front, that there'll be some activity on data breach protection.
2: Yeah, and we have so many states, I can't remember if we if we have 40 now states that have security breach legislation, and California was the very first. So it's not like we're totally, you know, without any laws. It's just kind of hard for several of the companies to try and uh, meet the expectations of all the different laws. So I think that's why there's been a push to have a federal standard But um, for me as a California resident, you know, I think we have a good law and I I don't want it watered down. So I think I think that's the challenge is how do we have a security breach legislation that uh, doesn't water down state law, but at the same time helps companies so that they don't have to respond to, you know, all these different laws and try and keep up with it because it's crazy making. Right.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're exactly right. I believe the count right now is forty-seven, 47. states plus the District of Columbia plus some of the territories. I, I don't know which one, which ones in the Pacific or you know or elsewhere. Yeah. Um And they ha- that have these data breach laws that require notice and you when uh, when there's a breach, but they are all different. And as you're right, for a company, it's quite a puzzle every time something occurs to determine what's exactly required to respond to that data breach. So there is actually finally some push on the business side um, to see a more uniform standard. Um, And the actual one of the questions is, are we going to be able to focus just on that issue and get it through, or are there going to be other privacy or data protection issues that become attached to that bill, if you know how Congress works and... Uh, I'm just learning myself after all these years. Um, it's not easy to get a single issue through. Sometimes other other interests, whether they're consumer advocacy side interests or business side interests or others, uh, want to attach other other amendments or issues to a bill, and, and that grinds it to a halt. And I think we're now we're going to see if we're able to get something just focused on data breach, at least that through.
2: So, you know, given that you're right there in the heart of everything and I know when you're when you're in DC everybody kind of knows what's going on or at least talks about it all the time. So, if Congress were to act, what kind of provisions do you think that uh, would be included?
0: I think that what we're going to see if something does pass will be more limited to the laws that we have in the states and making more uniform, when does notice have to issue if there is something called a security breach? What kind of notice has to be given? Um, And those are the issues that they're going to focus on, because right now there is a lot of variation amongst the states. Um, There are some common issues, too, um, about Ability of a company to make a determination about the risk uh, of the event and how much risk there is that a com- customer's information really is going to be compromised, um, and get out there and, and the likelihood that it's going to cause harm. But it's still it's still very balkanized, and you still have to look at all those forty-seven states or DC to make a decision. So depending on you know where you are and where the information is. So I think the focus is going to be on that. There's some possibility that the Federal Trade Commission might be given some rulemaking authority. So right now, the Federal Trade Commission doesn't really have any authority to make rules about notice of data breach or what kind of information security might be required of certain kinds of companies. Um, there is some litigation on that front. and We can talk about it with the FTC. We can talk about that a little, but they they're not making rules about that strictly. So there's some possibility that they would get some rulemaking authority. And then the third is is there's some talk, and this has been something that's floated around in state uh, legislatures for a long time, of requirements for companies that experience a data breach to offer something to their there are affected consumers like uh, credit monitoring services for a certain amount of time or other identity theft protection services for a certain amount of time. So these are the kind of services that are available that customers can get monitoring of their credit reports or other information and try to see if that information that got out uh, is actually having an effect on certain aspects of their identity. I'm not sure that that's likely, but that's that's also in the mix of thing, of issues that are being discussed.
2: Well, that's what's happening right now. A lot of the companies are offering credit monitoring for a year or six months or whatever they choose to do, and sometimes that's really very helpful if, if there was credit cards and credit that was being accessed and Social Security numbers, but I, I worry about um, companies that maybe didn't have social security numbers, but had bank numbers. And if they're offering credit monitoring, that's not going to be really um, matching the the issue. So in California, you have to kind of tell the people who were affected by a breach what kind of information was stolen so that they know whether they should get credit monitoring or whether they should, you know, change their bank accounts or whatever, what they should do. So it would be nice if there was some kind of uniformity to say, look, we have to tell you what kinds of information was stolen. Was it your social security number? Was it your financial information, your financial institutions? What was it? Was it your bank card numbers or, you know, what what exactly was it? Your debit card or whatever. So that would be helpful.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and um, I think you make a good point also that the the kind of information that might be compromised um, has an impact on the kinds of identity theft or other harm that might be suffered, and it's very useful to, to know about that.
2: So we are speaking this, this morning with Neil Dittersdorf, who is the Chief Legal Counsel and Officer for Intersections, Inc., and intersections is a leading provider of identity theft protection services for consumers and they happen to be on the task force for best practices so i this is a company that that i honor because they are really stepping up to the plate to try and do what, what is best for consumers so neil let's talk about these federal regulators you were talking a little bit about the federal trade commission the, the major federal regulators really are the uh, consumer financial protection bureau and the Federal Trade Commission, and so what are these? Reg- and then I guess the FDIC and a whole bunch of other ones, maybe, huh? Yeah. What are they doing?
0: Yeah, so that's uh, that's a great question. You know, in the in the absence, <clears throat> uh, in part, in the absence of legislation that's passing in Congress, federal regulators are, uh, pardon the pun, stepping into the breach, and, and that's especially true of the Federal Trade Commission. Federal Trade Commission considers itself uh, De facto federal privacy agency, and the FTC has not slowed at all in its privacy act activity. It's it's really active in several areas. A big area for the FTC is information security. Initially, what the FTC now I, I, should, I should remind everybody, have to remind myself that the the uh, FTC has different missions. We talked about rulemaking; they can make rules. They also can enforce uh against unfair and deceptive practices trade practices and the FTC initially looked at uh, information security breaches as an opportunity to examine whether a company was being deceptive in what it was telling customers about what it does to protect their information. So they were initially looking at whether a company that suffered a breach had deceived customers by saying they had state-of-the-art information security practices in place when they, re- when they really didn't. Right. The FTC now is becoming, some would say, more aggressive and looking more at whether the information security practices that a company has are unfair to a consumer. And that's a bit of a, d- a different standard than whether something is, is purely deceptive. And so they're starting to look at the information security practices of companies and whether the way those companies are handling customer-sensitive information or other personal information is unfair to the customer. Um, some would say that the FTC is, is without a, a law in place, slowly moving towards establishing some kind of standard for information security protection that companies will have to comply with, and they're doing it through enforcement. That's that's subject to debate. It has been challenged by some companies um, very recently. Um, there are two recent decisions that, that people who practice in this area are paying attention to. There was a security breach at Wyndham Hotels, and the FTC enforced the get- hotels, and the Wyndham Hotels challenged the FTC's. Uh, authority to enforce based on, on fairness and at least the district court in DC so that's the trial level court the lowest level court for this kind of matter upheld the FTC's authority to do that um that doesn't mean other district courts will agree but but it's a start for the FTC uh, i think widely viewed as a victory for the FTC um lab md another matter similar to that uh there was a slightly different take in this case the FTC's chief administrative law judge so you have a you can go through an administrative law process at the FTC ruled that it must disclose the internal standards it's using to assess company' security practices mm-hmm. basically said that it violates due process to hold that a company's practices are unfair if they haven't been given advance notice of what standards they're supposed to meet in the first place. So that's an interesting decision, too. I think it's um, early to determine how that's all going to shake out, but clearly the FTC is is moving heavily in that area. Um, They're also doing other things on on the privacy-related side. Um, The FTC has been, the commissioners have been expressing, Concern about privacy in areas like, you know, mobile advertising and mobile devices and applications. On their the alternative scoring products that are used alternatives to credit scoring for various purposes. Online health data, and they're having uh, workshops on those areas in the spring. Uh, into the summer, I believe, and sometimes those workshops lead to rulemaking by the FTC or, or even enforcement, um, and you know, a wide range of other issues. So certainly, the FTC's involved. Uh, other federal agencies that have perhaps more narrow missions are involved too. Um, the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, newest one of the newest of our agencies, has jurisdiction over the Gram leach bliley Act, which governs privacy requirements for financial institutions, and they've proposed some rules that you know that would be adjust the provisions for the privacy protection by financial institutions primarily to allow them to use online annual notices. Um and they've looked at some other narrow issues like uh they've given guidance on privacy laws and reporting regarding the financial abuse of older adults, which is a uh, older adults are, you know, subject of course, they're vulnerable, they're subject to abuse of various kinds, including abuse of their information, identity right. theft um, that they're they're very vulnerable to that. Um, and so, the the Office of Management and Budget continues to issue memorandum and guidance to, to federal agencies on how they can collect, use, manage, and protect personal information. Um, so, that should be important to all of us that the, the government itself is a good actor in this area. Um, and the General Accounting Office has issued a similar report, basically saying that major federal agencies continue to face challenges in implementing uh, agency-wide information security programs. So um, it's a challenge for companies, but it's also a challenge for the government.
2: Yeah, and I keep seeing things that I, I get notices from the FDIC on what they're doing with identity theft and protection services as well, you know, because they deal with, with the banks and, and uh, credit unions, et cetera. So it's, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of them have their hands in this. But, you know, going back to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, they were – they were starting to work with uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley way back, you know, before the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau came into being. And back, oh gosh, I think in the late 90s, they started the identity theft uh, website, which is ftc.gov slash ID theft. And, um, and so they've been pretty strong in that area for a long time because they were getting all of these um, complaints about ID theft. And they do a yearly study on uh ID theft. So, yeah, it's a a lot going on in your neighborhood. <laughs> that's for yeah, sure. That's
0: true. And I, I would say, by the way, and I I don't have the, the the page to cite. Um, maybe you do, or we can add this later. But for a consumer who's listening, if you want to know more identity about identity theft, the FTC's website is still a great place to go. There's a lot of valuable information about how to protect yourself, how to respond to identity theft, um, and how to make sure that if you if you go seek uh, help from someone else, like a company that provides services, how to make sure you're getting a, a good one, um, and those kinds of best practices. So I I, I would recommend looking at the FTC site if you're interested in this issue.
2: Yeah, and that's ftc.gov slash theft. And also the Consumer Federation of America has a website with all the best practices for choosing a identity theft protection services and uh, service to help you protect your own identity, which, you know, in these days, we have to do things to protect ourselves as well as asking companies to do it. There are some things that are beyond our control, like when there's a security breach. But basically, there's a lot of things that we can do to monitor our credit reports and to make sure that we're monitoring our our bank statements and making sure that we have online banking so that we can see what's happening every day and set up alerts. So there's a lot of things that we can do. Now you know you've been to California, and I know you love California too, even though you're a, uh, you're Virginia. No, you're a Maryland yeah. resident, right? Our,
0: our company's in Virginia. That's right. Yeah. I, I happen to live in Maryland, but yeah, our company's but, in Virginia.
2: But I love it. I love that area because I lived out there too. But, you know, California has really been a leader with uh, privacy laws and regulations. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, the privacy laws in California that are affecting all the companies.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, California absolutely has been uh, a pioneer in many ways in privacy and identity theft protection for consumers and they've actually recently taken some some progressive actions. The California passed a do not track law, it's called California Online Privacy Protection Act, or CalOPA, and that includes do not track disclosure requirements, and that just took effect on January 1, 2014. Uh, CalOPA requires uh, that companies post online privacy policies to disclose whether they track and collect personally identifiable information, about California residents online over time and determine and advise whether or not the company recognizes do not track mechanisms that have been designed to prevent such tracking so as a consumer you may may know or if not you maybe want to look into um, you can set um, browsers or other tools that you have so that you are not tracked and companies are not necessarily required as I understand it to um, to accept those mechanisms and to, to communicate with them and implement what they're directing but california law requires that companies who collect california residents information advise whether they do recognize do not track mechanisms if a company does not engage in such online tracking then. They have to describe how they respond to the signal or provide a clear and conspicuous link to a do-not-track mechanism to which they will respond. Um, again, it, the law doesn't prohibit online consumer tracking, but seeks to provide consumers with greater transparency through these additional uh, disclosures. Recently, the, uh, I think it was the Attorney General um, for California, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Kamala Harris uh, issued some guidance on how that law is going to be implemented. And the guidance expresses a preference for companies to utilize the first option to describe their their do-not-track policies. Um, That is to make sure that they do respond to them um, because they think it provides greater transparency than simply providing with a link to a DNT mechanism. And it advises that uh, when describing if and how a website responds to the do-not-track signals, The privacy policy should state whether the consumers who use the mechanisms are treated differently than consumers who do not. Um, You know, like, will will you have less access to the website? Will it be slower? Will there be services you're not offered or or not made available to you? Disclose whether the personal information is collected when a DNT signal is received and describe exactly how the information is used when a DNT signal is present. in addition to describing the policies, CalOpa requires companies to disclose where the third parties like advertising networks that track consumers are present on the company's website or service because sometimes you might go to a website and you might know that company's particular policy, but there are advertising networks that work through that website and you may not be aware of how they track uh, personal information. So it's a you know it's a it's a very comprehensive law, it's it's certainly cutting edge. It's one of the issues that the FTC has expressed a lot of interest in, but, you know, California, as is often the case, has acted first. Yeah,
2: um, and, and, and that's and what we, yeah, I mean, basically what what the big issue for us in California has always been when I sat on the Office of Privacy Protection uh, was let's just make everything transparent and give people choices. But I wanted to ask you, since we, we don't have a real lot of time, but I did want to say I know that Intersection does some things to help consumers and businesses, so let's talk a little bit about um, what a business should do to prepare, prepare for a potential data breach. And and uh, we, let's start with that one, because I don't think we have a lot of time to go into about, too much about consumers.
0: Sure. Um, so very briefly, one thing is, is perhaps the obvious is they need to worry about protecting their customers and other consumers' information and have good programs in place to try to protect them. Obviously, that has to be commensurate with the business and the business size. So, um uh, you know, a mom-and-pop grocery store doesn't need the same thing that, uh, you know, a major uh, healthcare company does, but they should be concerned about that. Um, and they should pre-plan. Pre-plan, make sure they have a good good program in place in case someone is uh, there is a, a breach at the company um, to know how they're going to respond. And when they respond, they should make sure the partners uh, at the company, if it's a partnership or the top management, including the board directors, know about it, they should reach out to a, a lawyer who has expertise in those matters because, it, as we've been talking about, it's a complex and fast-moving area with a lot of potential pitfalls. should notify their insurance providers. And, by the way, if you, if you talk to your insurance broker, you, you might ask whether you have cyber insurance or whether it would be cost-effective for you to have it. Um, you should notify law enforcement um, if, if you think it's a serious breach you know, and, and that, that is something that really you know, can help everybody involved. Um, and you should perhaps consider selecting some kind of information technology support company to help you assess what the risk is. And I realize for small businesses all of that may be hard, but um, but it is really is a serious thing to consider.
2: Well, you know, let's talk about what people can find at Identity Guard and what they can find at your website.
0: Sure. I'll just, just say uh, very briefly, you know, we, we agree with, uh, I think, what you have said and what the FTC said that there are, are ways that... Uh, Consumers can protect their own personal information, know who you share information with, know store and dispose of your information securely, use shredders for example, Um, ask questions before you share personal information, have good security on your computers and other electronic devices. You can monitor your personal information by getting your free annual credit reports at annualcreditreport.com that you're entitled to, uh, one from each of the three credit bureaus one time a year. And then you should consider whether you want to use other services. Our service, Identity Guard, um, and some other services you know out there offer many options, and you really can decide what is best for you. Um, research exactly what's provided, make sure you understand what you're getting. Um, we can provide things like uh, convenient, proactive, and continuous credit report monitoring so that you don't have to keep checking your credit report on your own. It gives you the peace of mind, that on a daily business day basis, you're finding out key changes to your credit reports that may indicate identity theft. You can get access to other kinds of data, um, like fraudulent attempts to use your identities to access your financial accounts or open new accounts in your name, falsification of public records about you, creation of synthetic identities that show up in public records, and uh, personalized information, education, and support so you can understand that information and react if if necessary. But, you know, I do want to say that um, you should... You please do come take a look at our website. It's www.identityguard.com. Um, but also, everybody who's thinking about these kind of services should should make sure that they're appropriate to them, and you know, make sure you understand what you're buying when you do that.
2: Terrific. And I just want to mention that I know that you guys did a study with Javelin and uh, for 2013, and found that there were more than 13 million consumers who were victims of identity theft in 2013. So it's really important that everybody recognize it can happen to you. It happened to me. We've talked to victims on our show. So it's a good idea to... Be careful and also to check out the Federal Trade Commission, FTC.gov/slash ID theft and identityguard.com. So, those are really good things to look at. And you're just wonderful and you're a wealth of knowledge. And we are so pleased that you joined us today. Thank you so much for being a part of our show. And uh, Neil, I hope that we will have you back again.
0: Thank you very much. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And I hope uh, I was able to give some useful information. Okay. Thanks
2: so much. You're terrific. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you can see our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and let us know what your concerns are about privacy in the information age. Thanks.